Hello everyone and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. Welcome back, everyone. In this week's episode, we speak with a familiar face and voice in our industry, Mr. Stephen Datoma. Stephen's worked in our industry as a body peer and as an employee of Anatomental for nearly a decade. Recently, he made the decision to step away from the industry to pursue his other passion in life, working out and inspiring others. We take some time to discuss good jewelry ordering practices, bonding through physical suffering, and the importance of realizing that there is another person on the other end of the line. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's topic. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history in the industry? My history in the industry. A brief history of a fucking hack piercer in the body modification industry. Um, I did a couple years in Massachusetts at a uh, shop that was mostly stocked with externally threaded jewelry and dial soap for all of your amazing aftercare needs. I finished an apprenticeship there. I ran that location for a hot minute. And then my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Heather, and I moved to California. Once we got to California, I wasn't able to really tie anything down, unsurprisingly. Uh, in the industry trying to find something new. So I looked around at a couple shops and they were all kind of sketchy. So not being able to walk into something that I knew would be decent, I stopped piercing and I took a job as a video game tester where they didn't give a shit what you looked like. And I did that for a little while until I started hanging out in Pasadena and met Eric Anderson, aka Squeeze. He was just in the process of building out his shop and gave him a little help there. Uh, in return, at a certain point, he took me on at the shop to start working and kind of knock the dust off everything, get me back behind the wheel, as it were, and push a little steel. And then I ended up running uh, that shop for him for a little while. And then probably going on, I don't know, I want to say we're probably talking like seven, eight years into that. I ended up in Santa Cruz, California with my wife doing a photo shoot for a project that Barry was working on at the time. So I met Blanchard for the first time. I was taken to Anatomical HQ and got shown around. And then after having a significant amount of rum uh, rocketed down my fucking gullet, he said that I should come work for him and I should stop. I believe the uh, the phrase was, you should stop scrubbing toilets and uh, piercing dicks or something along those lines. And uh, yeah, he told me he'd give me a job. And I basically called his bluff and said, all right, well, give me a job and I'll come work for you. So about a week or two later, I was laying in bed, probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 in the morning because I was still a fucking piercer. And I stayed in bed that late at that point. And he called me and said, hey, I got a job for you. I said, shit, okay, you kind of called my bluff on that one. All right, well, so at that point, I had talked with Heather about it previous. And uh, she stayed in Glendale where we had been living at the time. And I got a ride with uh, DDA, the owner of Enigma, up north to Santa Cruz and started pretty much immediately went right into shipping and sales at Anatomical, and that's where i was up until last thursday that's awesome so a lot of the people in the industry know that for the last i don't know how long many years whenever we called Anatomical, we usually got you or one of the other wonderful people that works there well you got <laughs> mostly you got somebody else because i was <laughs> avoiding the phone like a plague but yeah <laughs> I did uh when Shelby did her stint there I I bugged the hell out of her too and and I will admit when I first started calling you guys I always got super intimidated when Todd answered the phone and I I yeah. love Todd to death but every time he answered the phone I was like oh my god I don't want to sound like an idiot here so jumping off of that point why don't you go ahead take some free reign here and tell us things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do when we call a jewelry company to order jewelry. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, okay, let's dial that back a little bit and unpack that. You can just stop right at things you should do and things you shouldn't do. One of my biggest things that I would harp on 
uh, often is, and it is in, in life as it is in business. Uh, it could be piercing. It could be just how you compose yourself day to day. It's really, really fucking simple. If you want to be a professional, act like a fucking professional in that it's all about how you speak to somebody. And I'm not saying that when you call a company and uh, how do I phrase this? Certain people think, uh, not even certain people, just I think in the world today, everybody expects something to to come for them for nothing. And certain things get glossed over, like, you know, just taking a second to talk to somebody or recognizing the fact that you're on the phone with a human being. So one of the first things that I can tell you is no matter who you're calling, whether it's Anatometal, any other jewelry company, or even if you're calling a fucking gas company because you've got to talk to them about your bill, you've got a human being on the other side of the phone. Just talk to them like they're a human being. Don't talk to them like a robot. Don't talk to them like an asshole. And don't talk to them like they're the enemy. You get like building a connection with somebody. Exactly. I mean, and I understand that's why a lot of people will call up and ask for someone specific because they have a relationship that they've built up over time. That doesn't always happen. When I was, you know, when I'm shipping orders or when I was working through and I'd have to call UPS, something, let's say something bad happened with UPS. UPS did something wrong. I've got to get it fixed for the person that's on the other side of the phone who's waiting for jewelry and doesn't know what's going on. If I call UPS and I start dressing down this person who's in middle America who has no idea what's going on and I'm basically treating them like an asshole, they're not going to want to help me any more than they absolutely have. Uh, it, right. it takes two seconds out of your day just to kind of be, you know, hey, how are you? How's it going? Okay. And not just expect the world to kind of bend at your feet. Now, I understand I'm saying that from the perspective of someone working at a company. And yes, if you are choosing to purchase items and goods and services through a company, that company obviously should take care of you. But I think a lot of it kind of falls back into the you catch more flies with honey than vinegar situation. You know, Mm -hmm. that's uh, I mean, that's one of the big things. Um, I think it's always super important to establish connection with whomever you're speaking to in any which way, shape or form, whether it be the person you're buying coffee from, whether it be, you know, somebody that you're awkwardly stuck in like an elevator with for two seconds, like just making sure that you're like, Hey, how are you? Like, how's your day? It takes nothing to do, but actually matters quite a bit when everything is all boiled down. So go, go a little bit, um, go a little bit further on that. So yeah, it's about how you interact with somebody. Um, people go, you know, zero to 60 in nothing flat. So there have been days where I pick up the phone and I would say, you know, Hey, how you doing? And before I can even really get into figuring out who's going on, I've got somebody on the other end of the phone going, you guys fuck this up. And it's like, Whoa, okay, slow down, back up. You know, when you're leading with that, when you're leading with the stick, nobody's going to want to help you. Even if I went over and burned your house down, if you come back at me like that, it's like, Hey dude, you know, I, I got a job to do here, but you know, come on, give me a little bit of room, a little bit of room to work with this but right that's something that i've taken away into my personal life when i go and when i deal with somebody you know if i'm at a restaurant and something comes out wrong or if there's a problem you know i don't immediately grab the first person i can see and draw blood because you know some people look at that as you know a show of strength or like hey i'm in charge here and you should be listening to me and i'm paying your salary and all that jazz and it's like dude that's that's you know it's really only going to dig you a hole that nobody's going to want to get you out of type of thing right it um, may work one time but it, yeah. but people will remember that kind of stuff. Yeah. And by and large, I mean, to be honest with you, working, working at the company for, you know, almost a decade, um, those people don't tend to hang around a long time and they don't tend to hang around the company and they don't tend to hang around the industry. Um, right. when you've got somebody that feels as though the earth and the moon revolve around them, you know, one of two things happen, either they go and they go the way of the dodo or they just end up a fucking mockery, you know, like they're the people that everybody looks at and points fingers on the internet. And, you know, it's like, how the fuck do you maintain this lifestyle? Like nobody likes you. You don't have any connections. Like, are you independently wealthy? Like what the fuck's going on? One time sticks out to me. Notably, I uh, had you guys make, I can't remember what it was like as like a screwball ring. And when I had you guys make it, the person came in to get it, wanted me to open it a little bit. And I, Obviously tried to open it just a hair, like wrapped everything correctly so it wouldn't scratch, scratch yeah. fuck out of it. Oh, and yeah. this guy was <laughs> so pissed off at me. And I had to call you guys the next day and I was like, hey, I really, really messed up here. Is there any way you can send me another one? And it was a, you know, a chorus of like, oh, come on. But yeah. you guys did send it to me without any problems. And because you guys helped me out in my time of need, I sent you guys cupcakes. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that that cost me like, what, 15 bucks? 
Yeah. You guys saved me out of a jam. I got a happy client. It's the little ways to say thank you, I think, really go a long way. Because unfortunately, if it was a negative situation and I was a prick about it, I probably would have just been in a spot with you guys mad at me, waiting in a, like an extra six to eight weeks with a client who's you know, doubly mad. Now I'll say this, when you're in a spot where something gets jammed up and you've got your back against the wall and you've got, you know, a client staring at you looking for an answer and looking to fix something and you call up when you call, when you go and you call the company. And again, I'm speaking from my perspective at the company, not, you know, in a broad industry sense, but right. if, you, if you call up and say, Hey man, look, I'm in a jam. I need this expedited by and large, everybody's going to try and do what they can to expedite it, whether or not you're being, you know, puppies and sunshine or just a raw prick, you know? So it, that's not the thing. It's not like somebody goes, Oh, well, this guy had a fucking attitude. So fuck him. We're not going to help him out. It's either way they're going to do their job. And the job is to try and take care of the client, which is you guys. It's just about how that road is walked and what the, what the feeling is afterwards, because there's plenty of people that I have spoken to for years and years and years that I have never, it's not like I avoid people or anything because obviously I'm on display when we go out to Vegas, but you know, there's people that I have just never sat down with and never had a drink with and never hung out with. And then there's people that, I mean, you know, like you, I can see you across the room and I'll push an old lady out of the way to go over and fucking give you a hug so we can go get a drink, you know? Right, exactly. That's, and uh, I mean, and then there's everything in between. You know, you can't make everybody happy all the way through life. You know, nobody's fucking perfect, including myself. But I think that's a big thing that uh, I got to go back to the, you know, the flies with honey thing is if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to have a relationship in the long term, and by relationship, I mean like a business relationship, the best way to foster that is to have a good relationship with the people that are at the company that you are actually going to interact with because they become part of your fucking life. You know, it's like when you work a job that's nine to five, you spend eight hours a day with these people five days a week in any industry, anywhere in the country or even in the world, you're spending more time with these people than you do with your fucking family. You know, like right. you're working five days a week so you can get home and hang out with your wife and kids or your husband and your, you know, your friends or what have you. It's the same thing in business. If you are going to make the same phone calls four days a week to the same people, to the same company, doesn't it make a little bit more sense to kind of get to know that person and talk to them a little bit and then kind of work with you as opposed to against you. That's kind of the way I always viewed it. Yeah. And the other thing too, I feel like a lot of people in our industry have not had jobs that are in other industries where they perform the same roles. Oh, don't get uh, me started. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And you can get started if you want. But like, for example, when I was funeral directing, I had to call cemeteries. I had to call churches. I had to call florists. I had to call the casket company. I had to call all those things. So I had to remember which person was where, like, yep. you know, how they were doing, what happened the last time I talk to him because if I cold called and was like, Hey, I need a casket tomorrow. They're like, well, we got like nine deliveries. And I was like, you're down the street from me. And he was like, yeah, I can't really help you. Right. So like they're helping me, but they're not helping me. They're, they're not going to go above and beyond because I'm just, and, and this may be different for you. They're not going above and beyond because I'm just a normal client. But once you have an, a, a relationship with someone, you know, you're probably going to go a little bit of an extra mile to help them out because they're like, oh, this guy's an okay person. I've spoke to him, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Does that make yeah. sense? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm kind of conflicted in terms of in terms of service like that, because yes, you do want to have a relationship. And yes, you do want to, you know, kind of communicate with the person exactly like you said, if you are able to call the person and you've had good relations with them in the past, and then you kind of have to cash in a favor. Yeah, it's going to work really well. That's not to say that, you know, in my opinion, if somebody calls in out of the blue, I don't want someone to think that from what I'm saying now, if someone was to call the company on Monday morning and say, oh my God, I fucked up. I'm really sorry. I need, you know, X, Y, Z. Is there any possibility I can get that in a couple of days? Again, they're going to try and do everything they can to get it out to you. They're not going to say, oh, well, we don't know who this guy is or, hey, let's go check. Oh, no, no, no. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, let's go check the – let's check his, his check his hit points over here and make sure that he's got enough so we can take care of this. Right. No, I, I think basically an adamantal goes above and beyond compared to, like I was saying, like the florists and the casket companies and the things that I've had to deal with in the past. Sure. And they are way more likely to help someone out in a pinch than – any other industry that I've ever experienced. Yeah. But the big thing, what I'm saying is, is that they will do everything they can to help you. But what I'm saying is, is if you have a personal relationship with someone that you're calling, you know, on a daily basis, you can kind of cash in those like credits you've earned in friendship. Does right. that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Socially. So to dial you back to, <laughs> 
other jobs like people other jobs in the industry and i you know i realize some people are going to get like you know whatever nobody's ever happy about or not everybody's always happy about my opinions but that's fine i'm a free man now and i can say whatever i want Um, that's the truth the one thing i was actually thinking about this today on my run one of the crazy things that i think i'm able to take away from working at the company for almost 10 years is i get to see this incredibly broad cross-section of studios literally around the world and how people order what their business practices are what their motivations are everything like so you know you do guest spots right you travel right and you see other studios and part of the benefit of doing a guest spot is you get out of your comfort zone and you get out of your home base and you go out and you go to another shop and you get to see how somebody is running their deal and you get to see even just a little as shit like you know what their basics are and what they tend to keep in stock and oh hey what what threaded ends and what colors and what settings sell really well in this neighborhood over here versus my neighborhood over here you you get this weird little like it's almost like when you travel outside the US the first time and you're like, oh, holy shit, people eat that? Like, you know, there's that type of realization. It's funny. I was talking to I was talking to Adam the other day. He's over here. We're having a couple of drinks and we start talking about work. And I said something along the lines of people asking what the, you know, when people ask, hey, what's your recommendation on how how much should I mark this up? And before I could even get it out of my mouth, he immediately goes, oh, well, it's always Keystone. It's always 2.5. And I was like, well, yeah, but we're talking about a broad spectrum catalog from an item that costs two ninety nine up to what I, uh, you know, I've seen stuff that goes out on shipment that's upwards of like, you know, $6,000. I'm like, how do you price that out? You know, how do you do this? And we had taught, we had a conversation about that and we kind of went back and forth. And then I was like, well, here's the other thing is that it's, you know, what you're able to, what you're able to procure cost wise in New York city is going to be different than Tulsa, Oklahoma is going to be different than, you know, some small town in Texas versus, you know, Minneapolis. And it also has a lot to do with your name and what, you know, the weight that your name carries for, you know, cause the service that backs up the product is really also what's going to be driving the cost of it. Um, just kind of seeing that, you know, I'm going to go out and start my own business soon and kind of seeing the way different studios and different businesses and different people have approached different things, seeing what's worked, seeing what hasn't, that's kind of given me confidence to go out and do my own thing. Right. It's like having business sense. It's well, also that, and it's been like being able to, for the last, especially the last like four or five years, being able to, you know, it's like Dr. Claw sitting there with like all the television screens watching whatever he wants. And it's all these piercing studios and getting to see how these people make these decisions. I've gotten to watch people that I know start businesses from absolutely nothing and watch them go forward two, three, four, five years. So I've kind of gotten to see these experiments in how, well, okay, if you get your shit together and you do it this specific way, that's probably going to work for you. And then I've seen people that have done everything the right way and they just happen to be in the wrong market and it just doesn't work. And they're fighting an uphill fight, you know, like Atlas rolling the stone every fucking day. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of nutty. I think that also kind of rolls back to people's previous experience and what they've done before they have done anything in the industry. Um, I mean, fuck, how many jobs did you have before you were a piercer, you know? Countless. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. like I, I managed a toy store and I, you know, did funeral work and I did blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, just so many different things. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I've been working, I've been working honestly since I was like 12, 13 years old. You know, I had yeah, same here. Yeah, it's like have a paper route. You're responsible for money, turning in money, people fulfilling all the way through. And I mean, shit, paperboy. I worked as a, you know, I worked in a bakery. I worked in a kennel. I worked in, you know, the coffee shop at the mall. Uh, two or three different, you know, businesses I can think of at a mall. You know, just like hand over fist doing landscaping, like all sorts of crazy shit. And then kind of coming around and getting into the industry and getting into working. And at that point, again, you know, fuck, man, like 20 years ago seems almost like a million years ago in terms of the industry anyhow. But yeah, um, you got, you know, you got folks that are coming in now that the industry is a lot more secure. The industry is a lot more socially acceptable, I guess, profitable for damn sure. Back in the day, we used to try you know, to upsell people on just getting a gem and not a steel ball. And now kids that are 22 years old are upselling people into five, six, $700 gold pieces. Part of me almost feels like, you know, it's like you have the dream of being a rock star when you leave high school. So you start a band and you start traveling around and, you know, some people make it big and some people don't, you know, it's an odd, very, very odd situation that I've seen the the different types of people that have gone into the business and how far they're able to actually make the business run for themselves, almost kind of based off of their own merits. 
I mean, does that make sense? Totally does. And I mean, I'm an old man in the in this business, and I'm I'm a young person. How do I put this? I'm an old man in real life, but I'm a young person in this business still because I've been in the industry for maybe like I want to say like seven, eight years, if I'm thinking straight. Sure. And in that time period, I have I mean, I've seen that jump from doing like CZ things to being like, wow, I'm selling like a ton of gold now. Yeah. You know, that's that's the thing. And that's the market is that now. And yeah, I know I'm an old man. I'm salty about things. But like a lot of the people who are entering the industry now, they're able to just be like, oh, yeah, I have BVLA here. I can sell this or that. And I remember the first time that I got my studio to order an Adamantal and like Katana needles and everything. And it showed up and it might have been like a $200 order. And I almost cried because I finally had acquired that from having garbage jewelry. You know what I mean? There's a there's a lot of shit that's changed, even just walking around the expo floor in Vegas, man. Like the expo used to look like I mean, when I first started going, um, I mean, not to knock it, Luis Garcia. I mean, it kind of looked like, you know, it almost kind of looked like a gun show, you know, like there was only a couple booths that were really, really hot shit. And everybody else just kind of had like, you know, like plastic banners and then like, you know, kind of shit laid out on tables. And it was kind of kind of flea marketish, kind of not. I mean, it, whatever. It's not bad. It is what it is at the time. And when you can see the growth coming from then until now, you know, just like this year at the show, walking around knowing, you know, hey, this is probably the last time I'm going to the dance. Like, this is the last time I'm going to be here. And this capacity kind of hanging out and seeing everybody and seeing everything and you just kind of stop and drink it in a little bit and it's like well holy shit man like look at the booths and look at the companies and look at the way that they're representing themselves and look at the way that they're marketing themselves it's it's almost like people joke around and say okay well anatomical is a household name or bvla is a household name or maya or you know any of these big companies that have been around for a hot minute and have been working really really hard in terms of social media and marketing and products it's it's starting to come into its own and it's starting to blossom to the point where you can be at a bar somewhere and have somebody sitting and talking to you and they'll look at what you're wearing and be like hey is that maya or hey is that you know that's anatomical or oh holy shit look at that and it's the same way that people are you know i mean at least my wife loves handbags right like oh dude mine does too right i, I, spend, I know exactly what you're talking about yeah i spend you know three hundred dollars on a backpack i'm gonna drag through the mud she goes out and spends i don't even want to think about how many zeros on a purse and you know whatever it's gorgeous it's beautiful but by virtue of that by having that around me all of the time i have all these weird little idiosyncrasies like we're sitting at the beer garden the other day hanging out after a ruck and i look over and i see this girl and i'm like oh my wife would like that purse it's just one of those things that if you're around it all the time you make observations when you're out and whereas 10 or 15 years ago, if you went to a bar, no one's going to look at your, what's in your ears. They're just going to look at your ears and be like, the fuck are you doing, weirdo? Now, people that may or may not even have any visible modifications are saying, oh, wait, I know that company or, oh, I've seen that because of how far everything has kind of progressed. Which- right. And it, it, it's wild. Yeah. It's gone, it's gone, you know, a, a crazy way from what it, what it was even just five years ago. Yeah, no, it's been, dude, look at conference this year. Yeah, we had record number of new people that were coming. And I mean, that show floor was was wild. I mean, there was so many, so many different booths, so many different styles, so many different things. I actually had a hard time like narrowing down what exactly I wanted to purchase for myself that year because there was so many things that I could pick up. So on a physical level, yeah, man, like the show floor, like, you know, the show floor, fucking amazing. Um, people are coming out and they're bringing their A game because they're recognizing that is, that's the dance, right? Like you got to fucking show up and you got to represent, you got to do well. But almost to that, like, so let's look at other little things that have been changing. Like, dude, I mean, 10 years ago, that fucking, you know, the, we always call it the splash bar because, or at least, you know, my generation calls it the splash bar because of the fucking, you know, the the old hotel we used to be at. But being at the pit, that fucking hotel bar, dude, would be cranking until five or six in the morning. And there would be weirdos yeah. from all over the world there hanging out, drinking, doing whatever. And so in the last few years, I stopped staying up all night and drinking and I started waking up early to go out for a run. Because the only time to run in Vegas is like six in the morning before it turns into 9,000 degrees. And every year, man, the number of bodies that would be at the bar was just getting less and less and less. And then this year we would wake up. <clears throat> I wake up early. We get onto the, the pool deck to go work out with everybody. And uh, 
there's just nobody there. There's nobody at the bar. And it's because everybody's going to bed because they want to go to classes and they actually want to get their shit together. So yeah. for, as much as I complain about the kids that walk around with their fucking handout saying, you know, hey, what are you going to do for me? And, you know, oh, the world is so unfair and I didn't fucking get X, Y, Z. There's still another crop of fucking kids that are coming up that are, I think, to a certain degree, recognizing the fact that if you want something, you have to fucking work your ass off for it and you have to go and work hard and you have to make sacrifices. And if that means, hey, you're in the fucking party capital of the world and you have to go to bed because you're going to get up tomorrow morning and go to take six, seven, eight, nine classes. Okay, so be it. Like, good for you. That's fucking rad. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything when people call that you absolutely want to make sure that you you tell our listeners to not do that specific thing or like maybe suggestions to make it flow a little bit easier? Um, I, I wouldn't say things not to do because I'm, I'm thinking that's more of like a, a negative connotation where there's plenty of other things that people can that you can do that's a really good thing. I think one of the biggest things, and having said that, it's going to sound negative, is have your shit together. <laughs> no, that's a valid thing to say. I don't know how many phone calls we get from people that call up and go, hey, I want to place an order. We go, yeah, okay, what do you need? And then you can hear the fucking, the tiny plastic drawers whipping open because they're doing a physical assessment at the fucking drawers while they're on the phone with you. And they're like, okay, three, eight, 14, I made six. Chicka, 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 drawers. Chicka, 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 drawers. Uh, five, eight, 14, uh, eight, seven. And it's just like, dude, holy shit. This all could have been done like 15 minutes beforehand. That's, that's a huge thing. The second is that like, to, uh, I mean, a good deal, a good deal in me still feels as though email is the way to go in terms of orders, because you're going to have a paper trail, you're going to have consistency, and you're going to have a thread that you can kind of fall back on with people in terms of communication. The phone is great. And placing phone orders is super good for things you may have questions on or things that you need to interact with somebody on. That said, if you've got a fucking four page basics order, that is all just numbers and letters that is going to be unquestionably okay, send that in and then call in and talk with somebody about the three things you might have a question on. I mean, that's just, you know, there's no need to keep somebody on the phone for four hours taking an order because at the last part of the order, you have this question on this pair of eyelids. It's like, oh, hey, man, just just send the order in via email, then call me and we'll bullshit for 25, 30 minutes about the eyelids and we'll get you taken care of. It's not a um, Right. That's how I tried to always do it. The email thing worked the best for me. Yeah. Because when I wasn't emailing them, I would call and be like, hey, did I add this to order? And you guys had to remind me, be like, yeah, well, we got it. I was like, yeah. okay. And I could have just saved myself the time of worrying and Holy saved shit, my time dude. of freaking out by just having an email. And that's the same thing. Like if, if you send an order in and at about an hour and a half later, you go, oh, fuck, did I put those barbells on there? All you've got to do is check the goddamn email. And there they are, or there they're not. You know, it's pretty easy. One of the huge things that's come up recently has been the shop. Think of the shop like a big box of Legos, right? Um, right. Kids go over to the, you know, you go over to the box of Legos and you've got some kids that just immediately start stacking shit together and they make, oh, hey, look, I made this fucking like Lego dick. Oh, congratulations. And then you've got the same <laughs> kid that can, you know, a different kid goes over with the same amount of Legos and they build one of those fucking statues they've got outside of the Lego store in Legoland in San Diego. It's like, oh, holy hell. People will call, talk, ask, discuss, go on the website, research, and then build something really cool and really custom out of the existing parts that we are able to produce at the shop. And then after having it released, or not even released is not, not the right way to put it, but you know, we produce the piece for them and we take a picture of it and then we send it out. And then let's say it hits the Facebook page. Somebody will call up and just say, Hey, I want that. And we're like, okay, that was a custom piece that this guy put together. And we're not saying we're not going to make it again, but he actually took the time to put all of this together and get the dimensions and the stones and the measurements and where the threads goes and where's this and where's that. And they just go, Oh yeah, well, I just want it exactly like that. And I'm like, well, we've only made one of them. We don't have the specifications logged away anywhere. If you're going to use this and put it into your client, we need to know what specifications you want. And they're like, uh, well, whatever that is. And it's like, okay, we're going in a circle here. Like that's personally, that's one of the ones that always killed me because I feel like if you're going to order a piece, you know, either a, you're ordering it for the case or B you're ordering it for a client. If you're ordering it for the case, okay. You're ordering this crazy specific piece of jewelry and you're hoping for that one person to come through the door. That's going to justify your purchase. It's like buying, it's like buying two, like two and nine sixteenths inch eyelets some oddball fucking size that only one or two per people are going to have and then getting them with an alternating stone pattern and anodizing them blurple and then putting them in the case because every time you make that selection be it material measurement color 
and then anodization, you are further narrowing down that person that's actually going to buy those things. Right. The same way that if you are, you have somebody sitting in the chair and they come walking in with their phone from Pinterest and they say, oh, hey, I want this piece of jewelry. And you turn right around and call the company and go, hey, I'd like this piece of jewelry. And it's like, okay, well, what sizes do you like? Oh, well, whatever's in the picture. The first thing that goes through my head is you have a human body sitting right there. All you've got to do is give me measurements based off of the client, and then we have something we can work off of. But you're just asking for this picture exactly the way it was. Uh, now, if I take a stab in the dark and I try and reproduce this piece as closely to what it was and I send it off to you, maybe it doesn't fit. And then whose fault is it? You know, it's like, where does the where does the problem kind of come to play? It solves the problem gets solved very, very easily where if somebody calls up and says, hey, I have this picture that the client brought in. They really want this and they want it to fit their ear. Oh, okay. Well, what sizes are you thinking about? How big are you thinking? Oh, okay, cool. I mean, just kind of jot down all the notes and everything. And then all of a sudden you've got a piece of jewelry that you can actually use as opposed to something that you get and you've rolled the dice for, you know, however many dollars wholesale, hoping that the client is then going to buy it. That's, that was a huge, huge issue that we would get, especially when certain people, Luis Garcia, would come up with just crazy pieces of jewelry and they wind up on the website and then all of a sudden people are like, I want that. And we're just like, oh my goodness, Christ. Okay. I remember calling you guys every once in a while and I would see a picture you posted. Are you really doing that? And then I would always get the usual like, hold on one second. And then they would like throw me to, I think it was like either you or Todd and you'd be like, let me explain what's going on here. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I got, I got you now. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. There's, <sighs> you guys are machining specific things that require very specific numbers for them to actually work. Yeah. And when somebody comes up to you, I, I always use the cake analogy. Hmm. You're like, I would love a piece of cake. And you're like, okay what kind of cake you're like i don't know just cake and you're like well do you do you want frosting on it do you want a flavor on it do you want this on it I'm like no what well, just cake you know like that doesn't work yeah. it could work for cake but it won't work for you know like a machined piece of jewelry you know yeah well, how much is this going to cost well i don't know it's going to be expensive well how expensive is it expensive i don't know man it's probably gonna you know you're just that you came up to me and said i want a car okay well how expensive is the car well which car do you want you know it's like it's either going to be an economy or it's going to be a porsche you know yeah. Um, the machining thing is when you're dealing with um, when you're dealing with the parts, you know, when you're dealing with just parts that are available. Again, we're going back to the Lego box. If you can come up with it and you can put the time in and you can put it together and then run it by somebody and they give you the green light. Hey, knock yourself out. That is wholly independent than when somebody comes in uh, with an idea that is just on paper on a napkin and they say, hey, I'd like you to machine this custom crazy thing for us. And we go. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that for a second. When for years, for years, it, it was very, very difficult. They've kind of streamlined the process a little bit, which is really, really nice. So if you have an idea, all you've got to do is bring it, basically email it in, you know, and have somebody take a look at it because nobody in the sales department is going to make a call for you. You know, it's going to get kicked up the totem pole. And it's going to be a matter of having Barry look at it and having, you know, R&D look at it and have the machinist look at it and see if it's something that's viable that can be done. But with that said, there's only so much they can do. And when you start coming up with ideas that are going to get tossed into the mix, that is a brand new part that has to be made from soup to nuts. It can affect wait times. It can affect production times. And that's the other side of the coin. You know, that's kind of the, the dark side of the moon on that. Everybody and their sister was coming out of the woodwork asking for clickers. And it was just like at a certain point where the answer just kind of became, well, you know, or not even clickers on our bad example. Somebody else was asking for something. I can't remember what it was, but the answer was basically like, well, yeah, we could start producing that, but you're also going to tack four to five weeks wait time on this. So do you want this crazy, shiny, you know, bobble of the week, or do you want standard operating jewelry that you can use to produce quality piercings? Huh? Take your pick. Like, which one do you want to kind of go with here? You can't have everything you want. You know, they tried real hard, man. I'll tell you, like they, you know, anytime somebody sends an email, like an email in with something that they want to look at, everybody will sit down and analyze it and see if it's something that's viable and see if it's something that they can actually do. The problem is when you, when you're standing on our side of the desk versus when you're standing with a client at the counter, it's a little bit easier to understand when you're actually standing in HQ. The people that have come to visit that take a tour and walk around to a one will generally start in shipping, see how things go, do a big loop of the building. And that's going to change again, because we're moving into the new, or they're moving into the new building probably towards the end of this year. But when I was in the company, 
everybody would start. They'd say hi to me. We'd hang out for a second. Then they do the loop and they come back through. And everybody to a one would come back to my desk and be like, holy shit, dude, I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, no, that you, you get what I'm saying now. And they're like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I totally understand now. This totally makes sense. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a jerk here or anything, but do you understand why some of the questions are frustrating? Because you, without prior knowledge of how things work here, I know it seems very simple on your end of the phone to just say, hey, why don't you just do X, Y, Z? Once you're able to actually take a tour and walk around and see everything, it's like, oh, okay. All right. No, I get it. Now I see how things flow. I, th- I see how things work. It's, you know, it's enlightening. If you, ha- if you are able to come out to Santa Cruz and you're able to go to HQ and walk around and get a tour, it will be A, free. <laughs> and be uh, probably one of the more beneficial things that you can do in terms of taking away how you plan your orders, how you plan custom jewelry, how you work communications with a company, just everything across the board. It will definitely help all the way through. Anatomical in general is always so I've basically anatomical. I think maybe in my career has told me no one time when I ask them about things. Every time I see Barry at conference and I even speak to him I'm like, Hey, do you think that this is possible? And he's like, Sure, let me figure it out, and then I'll get back to you. Like, any idea, he doesn't automatically just dismiss. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing that the company itself does. Although, like, it's very easy to ask for us, and then you're like, oh, goddamn, I got to do X amount of time, you know, trying to figure that out. But it's it's something that you guys will always do without telling, you know, normal clients no. You keep saying you guys like I work. You know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I am fun employed, sir. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so on that note, I know that you're leaving the industry because we're moving back to where your roots are from out in Massachusetts. Yep. Left. Past tense. Left. Gone. Left. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, what is your new adventure? I am going to, well, I am going to start uh, beating people up for uh, fun and profit, actually. I'm going to start a starting an endurance training company. Uh which kind of needs a little uh, explanation here because in the short term, when people ask what I'm doing, I can just say, I want to start, I'm going to start a gym, uh, which is the long-term goal, but gyms kind of conjure a certain idea of what they're going to look like and how they're going to behave. And people either think of either 24 hour fitness or uh, a CrossFit box. And what I have planned that I want to build is really going to be kind of somewhere in north of either one of those ideas. Everybody that knows me or has spoken to me over the course of the last four years knows I'm pretty heavy into GORUCK. That's something that came into my life when I really needed it, needed a little direction, a little, like kind of like a little kick in the ass. Right. Can you, can you just give me like a real brief explanation of what GORUCK is? I personally know, but I just want to make sure other people know. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the basic premise of it is it is a team building endurance event. It is put on by current and former special operations soldiers who have been deployed in the war on terror post 9-11. Um, that's one of the qualifiers for the guys to come and work at the company. The guys that lead the events are referred to as cadre. You get anybody from Force Recon Marines, Green Berets, um, Navy SEALs, pretty much anybody that you've seen that's Tier 1, 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, they will come through as cadre for the company. Um, The events, I'll keep it simple, the events are based around the training that those guys have gone through and through the selection process that they went through to become uh, the level that they're at now. So you're going to get a small slice of what they went through in terms of their training uh, and their training evolutions. So the events are going to generally start about 12 hours. You're going to step off usually about nine o'clock at night, carrying a uh, rucksack or a backpack that weighs roughly about 30 pounds. And that's scaled to weight. It's not a race and it's not a contest. You're going to wear a 30-pound ruck for the uh, entirety of the event. And then there's a whole bunch of other fun shit that you get to do, like carry logs and go through the ocean and lots of stuff. I mean, you can pretty much go. It's hard to explain. It's easier to Google it and watch videos and kind of see what's going on with it. But yeah, at the base of it, it is a physical endurance challenge that forces you into a team building environment. And I don't think I've done an event with anybody that's come out on the other end and hasn't benefited from one really from one spot or another on it. And is that what you plan to do with the gym? Yeah, basically. I mean, uh, again, gym is kind of a weird word to use. Uh, I'm in my head with my overdramatic, you know, nonsense in my head. I keep thinking of it as building like a Ludus where I don't necessarily want a room full of machines and I don't necessarily want it to look like a CrossFit box where, you know, everybody's working on Olympic lifts and whatnot. It's literally going to be 
a little bit more raw than that. I'd kind of really like just rubber mats on the floor, sandbags, logs, and just heavy, awkward objects because I might, the focus of the training for the entirety of it is going to be endurance training. Um, and it's going to branch out into other aspects of it, but that is really going to be the core of what I'm looking to do is to start a facility where folks that are looking to do these types of events, be it go ruck or different obstacle course racing, um, cuff mutter, um, Spartan races, warrior dashes, what have you, um, basically give people an environment where they can train a little bit more specific to the sport that they're looking to get into rather than signing up for an endurance based event and then going somewhere and working out somewhere that they're not really meeting the needs of what it is that they're looking to go and do. Gyms are great. Powerlifting is great. CrossFit is awesome. They all have their specific spots, but a lot of them fall short when you start to kind of move into these different environments that people are looking to perform in. So that's where that's a kind of a gap that I think I, I've seen over the course of the years that I think needs to be filled. And that's something that I'm going to focus on when I go in. We've spoken quite a bit about rucking and things like that. I think it's one of the things that I'm going to eventually try where I'm located because, as you know, I used to play rugby. And one of the things yeah. I really miss is, I mean, that's basically 15 guys going to war for, you know, 90 minutes or so. And um, yeah, hopefully I can dive back into that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely definitely going to give it a try. And then when I head back to Boston for a trip or whatnot, I'll definitely have to come out and visit you. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I think, I mean, again, you and I have talked about that quite a bit. There's there's a certain amount of camaraderie. Well, I shouldn't say a certain amount. Like you build camaraderie through shared experiences. And when that experience right. is suffering, it binds people together a great deal. Going through dumb shit and like physically oppressive dumb shit has built some of the best friendships that I have with people because in a small degree, you know exactly where you stand with people and you know who has your back when you have been under a log for five and a half hours over the course of you know the witching hour from about midnight until like 4 a.m right when the sun's going to come up you know who's putting out and who's not you know who's going to carry their weight and who's got you know who's basically down to stay with you the whole time and who's not and that's no small thing it, it being able, putting people under a little bit of stress definitely shows you their true character and what they're willing to do in the face of bullshit. So I, I can't speak highly enough about that stuff. That's uh that's been a really, really big part of my life. And I would encourage anybody that wants to try something like that. Realistically, get, get out of your fucking comfort zone and go and try something different. And I mean, again, you and I have talked about this stuff on different levels, but you know, basically getting off the couch and doing something like making the choice to be like, Hey, I can sit on the couch and I can play Xbox every night and drink, rum and cokes and just knock them back until i die or you can get up and do something that might be a little scary or something that might be a little hard and it's like man that's the stuff that pays the biggest dividends over the course of your life is to do something different exactly so i mean there's i i say it all the time like if, if you stay in your comfort zone sure you'll be comfortable but i mean it's going to be the same thing over and over whereas if you try something new it could be an amazing thing that you never knew about and now it's this whole new chapter of your life with new friends new people new experiences so there's no harm in just trying it. And I mean, if you don't like it, hell, I mean, you still tried it. Yeah. So. I mean, what's that? The expression is like uh, a ship is always safe on the harbor, but ships weren't, ships weren't meant to stay in the harbor. Something along those lines. Yep. It's good. I mean, I, dude, look at people, you know, look at people like Nick San Gregory, look at Mateo, you know, I mean, John Joyce, like people that are in the industry that, you know, admittedly, these are all my friends, but people that are in the industry are taking taking another step into something different. And, you know, if you want to get really philosophical about it, we're still staying within the body modification community. These people are taking steps to change their bodies as they see fit. And I think that's a, a huge thing that I want to make sure that people know is the reason why I want to make sure that we take time to talk about this is one, because I know how passionate you are about this and we're super passionate about this industry and everything like that. But it is a form of body modification, whether you want to admit it or not, because you are changing the way that you feel on the inside. And, and how you outside. look, yeah. I mean, there's one of the major things when I would talk to people, you know, we sit around drinking and they're like, what did you do? And I'm like, you know, oh, the last event I did was uh, 26 hours and we covered 62 miles and I had a 30 pound rucksack on and we were carrying 60 and 80 pound sandbags and we did log PT and we summited two of these hills out in San Francisco and we did surf torture and we did all of this horrible shit. And the people are looking at me that these are people like at APP and they're looking at me and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why the fuck would you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. Why the fuck would you hang from hooks? 
and that's yeah. that's usually where it clicks is someone then like oh yeah and i'm like dude i've i suspended once a grand total of once for about 60 seconds and it was one of the most terrifying fucking things in my life and having been in that position where I know something that is that scary and being able to kind of push through it and keep moving, I didn't end up going further down that path. Obviously I've gone further down this path than I have, you know, with anything previous, but it's all the same stuff. If it's, you know, lifting weights or running or rucking or, you know, hanging from hooks or jumping out of a fucking airplane, that's the stuff that if it's, if it's going to challenge you, do it, you know, because if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to fucking change you. It's not going to be something that's going to be significant in your life. If you just go through the motions and you're in the same fucking rut over and over and over doing what's comfortable and doing what's safe. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a major motivation for us leaving California, to be honest with you, is having these ideas and having the stuff that I want to do. And it's like, well, you know, California has been great. We've been here for a real long time and I can probably stay here forever, but Unfortunately, I have this fucking thing in my head. I've just got this thing buzzing in the back that says, hey, you got to go and do something else. You got to try something different, you know, because if you don't know, you're never going to fucking know. Right. If you don't try it, you don't step off the edge. You're never going to have a definitive answer. So if I try and fail, fuck it. At least I tried. So that's what I'm going to do. Exactly. And that's that's a super big important. I think that's like I know it's weird that the podcast itself is about body piercing and, you know, the the things that we do. But. I feel like a lot of lessons have been thrown out here from people's experiences. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I love doing this and spending time to make sure that I do it is to make sure that, you know, people are understanding, like, it's okay to go outside of your comfort zone. It's okay to try to push yourselves. It's okay to admit to yourself that you may not be the best. All those things are for the better of you as a human and don't make you a, don't make you weak, you know, just, it, it's more of a self-reflection than it is anything. Yeah. Years ago, um, when we were all still on BME on the IM pages, um, I was in a small forum with Sean Porter and a few other people. And it was, he said something that basically described the group of people that we were with. And it was just that, you know, we all have, when we, when we talk, we don't talk about piercing. We don't talk about tattooing. Yes. These are two really big things in our life. And yes, these have been things that have changed us over the course of time, but that doesn't define who you are. You know, if, if that's, you know, that's a really one dimensional side of yourself. If that's the only thing you can say about yourself is tattooing and piercing, tattooing and piercing, tattooing and piercing. When we would discuss, you know, we would talk about things like, you know, it's stupid, you know, right. It's cooking and movies and travel and just all this other little shit that everybody enjoyed doing that we were able to sit down and discuss. But when you put a bunch of weirdos in a fucking room who all have stretched ears and fucking split tongues, you know, by and large, there are people that will be able to talk about that topic until they're blue in the face. But then when you ask them what they did last weekend, they just get all clammed up. You know, it's the only thing they can talk about because it's the only thing they know. You have to be able to kind of, and again, if that's the only thing, you know, that's what you're comfortable with. You know, if you spend all your time piercing and tattooing and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you don't ever branch out, even if it's something stupid, like just fucking leave and go do yoga, go meet some new people, meet somebody outside of your industry, step outside of where you're comfortable and try something new and just see what happens. That's, um, I think, man, one of the, that's been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn over the course of the years, but it's something that since it's sunk in, it's something that I don't, I shouldn't say I don't, it's something that I take forward in the respect of everything little, um, everything little that happens to me day to day. I think about it as a challenge where, whereas before, if I got something in my dinner, like I hate mushrooms. So if I was to get something at my dinner at a restaurant and there was mushrooms in it, I'd be like, oh, fuck, I'm not eating this. It has mushrooms in it. And now I kind of think of it a more along the lines of, well, you really going to let fucking mushrooms beat you? Like that's the thing that's going to break the camel's back is having a couple mushrooms in something. And I'm like, well, fuck right. no, I can push I, through that. Yeah. I, it's one of those things like, you know, when the going gets tough, just keep going. Yeah. If you're going through hell, keep on going. So yeah, Stephen, I really appreciate you taking time to go ahead and talk with us today and, and kind of give us some insight on on what you've been doing and where you're going. Uh, is there a place where people can stay in touch with you to try to hear about all your future adventures with the the working out and everything like that? Is there like a specific website you use or not, an Instagram? Yeah, not, um, I don't have... I'm an, process of building out all of the the business stuff right now so i don't want to kind of jump the gun on it my personal instagram which is public because i think private instagrams are stupid um is my initials phonetically it's sierra echo delta all in one word i pretty much if you like corgis 
and workouts and tacos and drinking. You'll probably love my Instagram. But when I get back east, that's one of the places that I'm going to be pushing information out. My Facebook page is private. I try to keep that quiet because it's mostly just like family and uh, go ruck stuff. But the Instagram is going to be public. Once I get everything up and running business-wise, I'm going to have the website and everything launched through that. And I'll be pushing information out quite a bit. Great. And we'll uh, we'll update everyone on on exactly what's going on and uh, we'll update the show notes when that information does become available so that people can come and check you out. Cool. That sounds good. Right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for drinking probably a hundred ciders while you're talking to us. And uh, yeah, yeah, I had a couple. <laughs> and, Congra- uh, congratulations. Uh, congratulations on your podcast. Uh, I'm sorry that it has to end with me being the last one and driving your uh, success into the ground. I but- know that just happens. It's the, the price I pay for wanting to have awesome people to come on and talk to me. <laughs> I don't work for the company anymore. You don't have to blow smoke up my ass. I know I'm not, but you know, you, <laughs> you are like an amazing, I, and I know this is weird, but like you are an amazing person. Like, and I, I look at your Instagram and I see all the things that you do and like all the crazy shit that you carry and and everything like that and it it is a form of inspiration for me because i gotta get my shit together and and start going for it again so hopefully maybe you can look at my instagram soon and and see me carrying god knows what else uh up a hill or or, you know falling into a lake with a whole bunch of weights on me (laughs) i hope so man there's all you gotta remember is that there's always a bigger kid on the block and but that should never prevent you from trying have it folks i always enjoy talking with steven and his amazingly positive outlook on the world we wish him safe travels across the u.s as when this episode releases he'll be making the trek from the west coast to the east coast to step to date on steven's adventures and progress on his new business you can follow him on his instagram which is in this week's show notes for those of you folks in massachusetts you'll hopefully be able to visit his new business venture in the near future In the next few weeks, I'll be traveling to my good friends Adam and Shelby's wedding. They're both the owners of Amory Body Arts in Santa Cruz, California. So in between all the festivities and camaraderie, I should have some time to talk to a few people in our industry and get a few good discussions recorded for the podcast. Next week, we have a great topic lined up with an incredibly valuable perspective for those looking to operate a high-end body piercing business within a tattoo studio. I'm extremely excited to share that one with you. I would also like to thank this week's sponsor, Other Couture Jewelry, for their continued support of the hard work we do here at Real Talk. Recently, Mike Knight and his company have been up to some stunning things. He recently made some micro pave discs, which are as small as 3 millimeters, and as always, some amazing new gold tooth opal inlay combos. You can find Other Couture's information on our sponsors page at realtalkapiercingpodcast.com. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free.